Welcome to 15 Minutes to Wellness by the American Council on Exercise. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, the ACE Senior Fitness Consultant for Behavioral Sciences and your host for this series. My goal today and for every podcast in the series is to discuss some small steps you can take to help you better your life and find happiness through health. In each broadcast in the series, I'll interview a new health and fitness expert. I also want to welcome the hundreds of thousands of folks searching for positive ways to make health, nutrition, and fitness a part of their daily, hectic, busy, tight, and budgeted lives. I'm delighted that on our broadcast today is Deborah Beck Busis. Deborah is the Diet Program Coordinator at the famed Beck Institute in suburban Philadelphia. Deborah specializes in the application of cognitive behavior therapy for overweight and obese individuals and currently counsels people all over the world face-to-face and by phone or Skype. She is actively involved in seminars and workshops nationally, is busy writing articles and blogs, develops educational material, and armed with her master's degree in social work from my alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania, she's a licensed social worker and has worked in community mental health and has been using the Beck Diet Solution Program and treating clients since 2007. She worked on the books, the Beck Diet Solution and the Beck Diet Solution Workbook with her very, very famous mom, Dr. Judy Beck. And if you are familiar with a Beck name, you know that Dr. Aaron Beck sits behind these two powerhouses. And Deborah, I'm delighted that you're with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And believe me that everyone listening to this podcast will get a lot of information, I'm sure. So let's begin by talking about cognitive behavior therapy and what in the world does this have to do with losing weight? Isn't losing weight just a matter of what you put in your mouth and how you move your body? Well, if that were true, then probably nobody in our country would be overweight. Uh, But well over (laughs) two-thirds of our country are overweight or obese, and I'm sure the number is getting higher every day. So here is what CBT tells us, and this is what underpins every application of CBT, whether it's CBT for weight loss and management, which is what we'll talk about today, or CBT for depression or anxiety or PTSD or any other application, what the cognitive model states is that what you think influences how you feel and what you do. So when dieters first come to see us, what they often tend to think is that a situation that they encounter automatically leads to them eating, like their boss reprimands them at work and they get really embarrassed and stressed and sad about it, so they automatically go eat. It's interesting because you said they get stressed. Yes. And you and I know that no one gets a feeling. Feelings are invented by what you think. The link is what you think. And so you're saying that something happens between that event and what you feel and then what you do. So talk more about that. Sure. So someone may think, when I'm stressed, I eat. And they think that the emotion or the feeling of stress automatically leads them to eat. What they don't realize is that it's never the situation or the trigger or even the emotion that causes them to eat. It's always their thinking about the fact that they're experiencing that emotion. So if someone gets really stressed because his boss reprimands him and he has the thought, 
this is so stressful. I can't handle this. Eating will help me calm down. I need to eat so I can deal with this and get on with my day. Then, of course, he's going to go eat. But the situation could be the exact same, which is that someone is stressed because his boss reprimands him. But this time he says to himself, well, that was a crappy situation. You know, I feel really embarrassed. I feel really stressed. But if I know that if I eat, the only thing it will do is make me feel even more stressed because I'll have the original stress. Plus, now I'll have the stress of feeling guilty about my eating. Let me go for a walk instead. Then he is not going to eat. So it's never the situation in and of itself. It's never the trigger that would cause someone to eat. It's always his or her thinking about the situation. And we can say the same thing about anxiety, which is thinking that something is going to happen that's bad, or anger, that something must or should or ought to happen differently than it is. Or as you said, depression, that I lost something in the past that I'll never regain because I'm a loser. When it comes to dieting, successful dieters and unsuccessful dieters think very differently, don't they? They do. They do. Um, And what we really teach people to do is we help them figure out what thoughts they're likely to happen, uh, what thoughts they're likely to have when certain situations arise. Um, And we call these thoughts sabotaging thoughts. And what sabotaging thoughts are, are the thoughts people have that would then lead them to eat at times when they know they shouldn't or lead them to eat things that they know that they shouldn't. So Every time someone eats, she's having a thought right before she eats that then leads her to eat. So what we help people do is figure out in advance what sabotaging thoughts they're likely to have, um, and we help them come up with responses to them. One of the things that I teach my clients is a simple question. What am I thinking that's making me feel and behave this way? So when it comes to like a characteristic of someone who is an unsuccessful dieter. In your books, the Beck Diet Solution that you wrote with uh, Judy Beck, your mom, and the Beck Diet Solution Workbook, which I recommend everyone who is interested in losing weight and sticking to a a lifestyle change, pick up, read, use, complete the workbook, use it. It makes a big difference. But one of the things you, you talk about is that people who are unsuccessful confuse hunger with the desire to eat. Talk about that and how you use that in your work with weight management. Sure. So what we teach dieters is that hunger is that empty, rumbling sensation that they feel in their stomach. Anything that they experience anywhere else in their body is not actually hunger. One of the things that we talk with our dieters about is that, in theory, we like the concept of intuitive eating, which is eat when you're hungry, don't eat when you're not hungry, stop when you're full. Unfortunately, for almost anyone who's ever had a weight problem – Intuitive eating is really difficult because people tend to label anything that they feel in their body as hunger. They tend to mislabel any sensation as hunger when, in fact, it could be that they're having a craving. It could be that they're thirsty. It could be that they're really just feeling tired. It could be that, for whatever reason, they just want to eat. So whenever someone wants to eat, we always ask them, where are you feeling this sensation? Is it in your stomach? Is it an empty, rumbling sensation in your stomach? If so, that's probably hunger. If not, then it's not hunger. And if hunger is not what you're feeling, then eating is not the solution. So sometimes dieters experience the desire to eat in their mouth. They're really thinking about how good that food will taste. Sometimes they're 
experiencing it in kind of their head, like imagining themselves eating it. Sometimes they're having a craving and they're really wanting the food and there's almost a tightness in their limbs. But none of that is, in fact, hunger. So it's, the, it's like above the neck or below the neck, right? Isn't that another way yes, that you yes. talk about it, right? Yes. Now, what about this idea of how many people use food as an emotional coping strategy? You just said if it's above the neck, food is not going to be the solution. Mm-hmm. Now, talk about that. How, because so many people say, oh, I deserve to eat. I had a rough day. I'm so stressed out. They fool themselves. Eh, it's just one extra cookie. I just need it to feel better. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. So, you know, in our experience, almost every dieter that we've worked with does some degree of emotional eating when they first come to see us. You know, we find emotional eating is just so extraordinarily prevalent. And for a lot of dieters, eating has been a coping strategy that they've used to help them deal with negative emotions for a very long time. I mean, I've had multiple dieters who said to me things like, you know, when I was a kid and my brother's really mean to me, my mom would give me, you know, a cookie to help me calm down. I mean, these are kind of learned behaviors from a very long time for many people. Um, But that doesn't mean that we can't teach them to break the cycle, which is really good news. So normally, when people want to eat for emotional reasons, what's happening is that they're having one of two types of sabotaging thoughts. The first one is some variation of, I'm really upset. Eating is the only thing that will help me feel better. So when I'm upset, I need to eat. And the second one that people have is, and this is one that you mentioned, is somewhere along the lines of, I'm really upset. Since I'm so upset, I'm entitled to eat to help me calm down. So again, what we help people do is we help them figure out what thoughts they're likely to have when they get really upset, and we help them come up with responses to them. So for the person who thinks, I'm really upset, I'm entitled to eat to calm down, what we might discuss with them is the fact that if they're really upset, it's true that they're entitled to feel better, but they're also entitled to achieve all the benefits of weight loss. They're also entitled to feel better about themselves. Uh, They're entitled to be healthier and fit into their clothes and feel proud of themselves and set a good example for their kids. So because they're entitled to all of those things too, they just can't use food as a means to calm down. So it's important that that we teach people rational responses. And you have lists of these and you talk about how you teach people to write down the rational, accurate, logical response to these erroneous beliefs that they hold, like, I can't stand being hungry, or Mm -hmm. I'll feel better if I'm upset, or um, this is horrible that I lost weight. I, I just can't do it. I should just give up. You teach very specific sentences, thoughts that are true and helpful and inspiring and necessary and kind, the acronym for THINK. Let's talk about craving because a lot of people say, oh, I'm having a craving. I can't stand it. What kind of anti-craving strategies do you teach? So one of the things that we teach people is that cravings are really like itches in the sense that the more they pay attention to them, the worse they get. Um, So really, someone's best defense against a craving is to get very distracted because the moment he gets really distracted is the moment the craving starts to go away. So what we have people do is we have them make a list of at least five things that they can do when they're having a craving, and we may call these distraction techniques. And 
it's a list of five things, at least five things. And these are short, you know, two, three, or four, or five-minute activities like, uh, you know, check the sports scores online, um, play a word game on my phone, do a crossword puzzle, uh, take a short walk, things like that. And what we have people do is once they have a craving, bring out that list and do the first thing on the list. And if the craving still persists, then we say go on to the next one and keep doing them until the craving has passed because cravings always go away 100% of the time, even when people never put a bite of food in their mouths. Mm-hmm. And what about people who were listening to this and saying, oh, this is just too hard. I don't want to have to keep these cards and have to think. I, I, it shouldn't be this hard. What's the response for that? So a response I might use is I might remind them that either way it's hard. Being overweight is really hard. It's very hard physically on your body. It's hard emotionally and psychologically, you know, feeling badly about yourself, knowing you need to make changes, not feeling comfortable in your own skin. It's hard financially if you have to take medicines due to weight-related illnesses or if you spend a lot of money on food uh, that your body doesn't need. So being overweight is really hard. Losing weight is also hard. It absolutely is. The good news is is that what we teach people are really skills. And like any skill, any, any skill, the more you practice it, the better you get. So it is hard, but losing weight does get easier. But the fact of the matter is either way is hard. What about people who push food? You go to a party, an event, you know, a dinner, and people say, oh, come on, and, you know, it's, just have it. Obesity, we talk about, is a social contagious disease. The five people we hang out closest with seem to have the impact on us. Well, how do you teach people to handle that? So the number one thing that we have to help people do if they want to turn down food pushers is help them build their sense of entitlement, that they are entitled to say no to the food pusher. Most dieters that we work with, at least initially, and this is an overgeneralization, but it tends to be more women that have trouble with this than men. Many dieters feel very unentitled to say no because they're afraid of hurting someone's feelings or they're afraid of disappointing someone. So what we have to help them do is build their sense that they are entitled to do everything that they need to do to lose weight and be healthier and be happier. And Sometimes we may do something for a client who's really having trouble with this, like if you were a vegetarian and your friend was pushing bacon on you, would you say yes? And the doctor would think about it and she would say, no, of course not. And I would say, why not? And she would say, well, because I'm a vegetarian. And I would say, so it's interesting that you would feel entitled to say no if it were reasons because you were a vegetarian or because it violated you know, certain rules for your religion or if it was really bad diabetes and someone's pushing something with sugar on you. People often feel entitled to say no for reasons like that, but they don't feel entitled to say no if it's for weight loss. So we remind them uh, losing weight, being healthier, feeling better about yourself, these are just as legitimate reasons to say no than if you were a vegetarian or if you kept kosher or if you had a medical disease and you had to not eat certain foods. I hear so many times clients of mine will say, uh, it's just not fair. I should be able to eat what I want. And it's, this is not fair. <laughs> I'm sure you hear that a lot. What's, what's your favorite way to help people through that one? One of the things I always do is I normalize what they're feeling and I legitimize it. I say, it's true. It is unfair because it's not fair. It is unfair that you can't eat whatever you want. It is unfair that this is something that you struggle with and other people don't. Normally when people feel 
the sense of unfairness, a lot of times it's in reference to someone else that they think is not having to watch their weight. So it feels very unfair that this is something they have to. So what we say to them is it's true, it is unfair, but everyone has unfairnesses in their lives. This is one of yours, but at least this is one that you can do something about. At least, although it is hard for you to lose weight, at least you can lose weight. At least this is something that can get better. I sometimes will tell people, um, tell me other instances of unfairness in your life. Mm-hmm. And they'll start talking about this. And you say, how did you get through those? Who says that, you know, losing weight has to be something that's fair? And that seems to connect to people as well. One of the things that people in cognitive therapy, coaching and therapy, whether it's for weight reduction or emotional difficulties, we talk about cognitive distortions. And people have heard about this and understand what that means. They talk about specifically all or nothing thinking. Either I'm strictly on my diet or I'm totally, you know, it's, oh, I had a cookie this morning. I blew it. What do you you think about that? The moment you said cognitive distortion, my immediate thought went to all or nothing thinking, which is Ah, probably. We're on the same same page, Deborah. (laughs) Yes, probably the most common type of dieting cognitive distortion that people have and yes and we say we see all or nothing thinking play out in everything to do with losing weight you know in food there are certain foods i can eat and certain foods that i can't eat we certainly see it play out in terms of you know either i'm totally on track or i'm totally off track so one of the things that we help people do who have that type of thinking you know i've made one mistake i've really blown it for the day i might as well keep eating and get back on track tomorrow what we remind them is that in almost no other area of life do we think it makes sense to compound one mistake with another and we'll give them sometimes what we call mistake analogies so let's say for example you are walking down a flight of stairs and you stumble down a few would you then think well i've really blown this stairwell and throw (laughs) yourself down the rest i love that that's great that's a great one right from the stair where you stumbled and walked down the rest. Or here's another one that really people connect with. If you were driving on the highway and missed your exit, would you say, well, I've really blown this now and drive five more hours in the wrong direction? (laughs) No, of course not. You would get off at the very next exit, turn around and get back on track. So we remind dieters that eating, dieting is no different. The moment you make a mistake, it makes no sense to keep making more mistakes. What you need to do is get immediately back on track. Exercise is so important. It's such an important part of weight loss management. Talk about how you see the role of exercise at the Beck Institute. Right. So what we have found, and studies have found this too, is that exercise is really essential for weight management and is essential for good health. And the main problem or a major problem that dieters tend to make with exercise is the same that they tend to make with food. They get all or nothing about it. You know, so often dieters will say, well, I was doing a really great exercise program. You know, I was doing an hour, at least six days a week, but then kind of I fell off and now I'm not doing it at all. So what we really help dieters do is come up with a reasonable exercise plan that they can maintain. And for almost everyone that is not an hour, seven days a week, most people can sustain that for a week or two weeks or even a couple of months, but most people cannot sustain that long term. So what we help them do is come up with a plan that they feel they can stick to today, tomorrow, and in the future. So it's very important for dieters not to get all or nothing about exercise, or they won't keep it up. You don't necessarily endorse or support any one particular diet program, Weight Watchers or uh, Metafast or Jenny Craig, Nutrisystems. 
because don't I'm sure you agree that if the person is thinking in a healthy way, logically, rationally, if the mind is engaged properly, that you can lose weight on almost any diet. But isn't it about keeping it off that really matters? Absolutely. And studies have shown that they did a comparison of four major diets. And Mm -hmm. what they found is that all four worked basically equally well. Um, And the point of the matter is almost anybody can lose weight, but almost nobody can keep it off. The statistics on people maintaining their weight loss are pretty dire. Uh, They're They're very sad. Very sad. So what we have found is that if people lose weight, eating or exercising in a way they can't maintain, they will gain the weight back. So whenever our dieters are following any type of diet plan, we always make sure, if they haven't done so already, that we modify it so that it it contains their favorite foods. Because if they try and cut out all their favorite foods, they will probably be able to do that for a week or two weeks again, or maybe even, you know, we've heard as long as a year or two years. But if dieters really like sugar they're going to eat sugar again. And if they don't know how to control themselves while they eat it, they'll gain weight back. I was asked many, many times in the last week or so about the biggest loser and how much weight the biggest loser who won the contest lost and was it healthy and and all that. Do you have any comments on that? I don't. I don't. I don't know enough about her or what she did um, in order to get to where she is. Well, I think think it was a lot of media hype. Uh, drawing attention to the fact this woman lost a, a tremendous amount of weight in a seemingly short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the Biggest Loser TV show focuses on weight loss. And as you know, and uh, the Beck Institute promotes and the Beck Diet Solution promotes, uh, you have to engage the mind. You need a, a weight management coach. You need medical supervision. You need to be on a healthy nutritional eating plan. You need physical fitness. You need all of that. And, uh, I think that if someone wants to counteract their sabotaging thoughts and overcome their obstacles in weight loss and succeed on any nutritional diet, I want to urge people to connect with Deborah Busis at the Beck Institute. You can follow Deborah's blog at www.beckdietsolution.com. And uh, I urge everyone to pick up uh, Judy Beck's book, The Beck Diet Solution, Train Your Brain to Think Like a Thin Person, and The Beck Diet Solution Weight Loss Workbook. They are Bibles to me and all the work I do with my clients, and uh, I think everyone would benefit. So, Deborah, um, is there another website that people can connect with you on, or are you on Twitter? Oh, we're on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Facebook. Okay, great. How can we find you on Facebook? Uh, Search for Beck Diet Solution on Facebook. We post a new tip or trick Uh, or response to sabotaging thought every single Monday through Friday. So we're very active on Facebook. Super. I want to thank you again. Please give my regards to your mom, Judy, and uh, to your grandfather, Dr. Aaron Beck, who founded Cognitive Behavior Therapy at the University of Pennsylvania. And I wish you the best, Deborah, and we hope we'll be able to chat again soon. So I want to thank you very much for coming on and helping so many people. Great. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. As always, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and continue your journey to health and fitness by visiting acefit.com, where you can find everything you need to live your most fit and healthy life. You can explore thousands of healthy recipes, health and fitness videos and articles, uh, workout plans, health programs, creative ways you can get your family moving 
and really expert insight on a wide range of topics. Join me next time on 15 Minutes to Wellness, which you can find at acefit.com slash fitcasts. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, thanking you for being with us on 15 Minutes to Wellness.